0: Want to learn more about Ahrefs? Check out their blog or YouTube channel for step-by-step SEO tutorials. And their seven-day trial is only $7. So head over to Ahrefs fs.com and sign up now. For instance, when looking at competitors, you can see the pages and content that send them the most traffic. You can find out exactly which keywords they're ranking for and which backlinks are helping them out. And then from there, you can either replicate or improve on their strategies to make yourself even stronger. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Welcome to another episode of the Search Engine Journal Show. I'm your host, Brent Satoris, and today we are joined by Chris Long, Senior SEO Manager at GoFish Digital. We're going to be talking about how Google views your website, all the variations from geotargeting to infinite scroll to mobile first, and why it's important for you to understand the difference between how you might see your website and how your customers might see your website, but more importantly, how Google sees your website. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey Chris, thanks for joining the show. Hey, appreciate you having me on. It's really fun to talk about, you know, all of the things that you know come around with SEO, and a lot of that conversation comes back to Google, right? And so one of the things that you know we're going to talk about today, and I'm very curious to kind of hear your your views on, is to better understand how Google actually views your website and views your webpage. And I think this is something that a lot of people you know, may think about, um, you know, at a certain level, but I don't know how far people are really thinking about it, or how important it is. So first off, I wanted to ask you, like, why would Google actually want to view your web page differently? And why should we really care how Google views it? I mean, Google preaches over and over again, that we have to focus on our users. So why do we even care? Um, And why are they even doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something you know, we take a look at at, at GoFish Digital, right? Is which we take a look at SEO in two different lenses. There's the contextual lens, which is kind of that user lens. Uh, how is the user experience of the site? How is the site designed? What's the content look like? Uh, but there's the, also the architectural lens, which is how is Googlebot crawling the site? How is it interacting with your site? And that's the kind of the portion of our services that um, I head up. Um, and, and the reason is simple, right? Even as SEOs, we do have confined parameters that we're analyzing sites by, right? Like, generally, when even I'm analyzing a site, I'm using a Chrome browser, a lot of times desktop view. Um, but but we know that's not the parameters that Google's using to crawl a site necessarily, right? Like instead of a desktop view, for example, Google's using a mobile view uh, to analyze the vast majority of sites. and. To ensure that we know what content Googlebot is encountering, we have to understand that that Google view. You can you know, think that Google has a complete you know, open crawl of your site at, at a really, really basic example. But then if you take a look at the robots.txt, which is one of the parameters that Google is kind of confined by, if you're blocking crawls of certain sections of your website are limiting Google's ability to actually be able to read your you know, CSS, your JavaScript, then you put a variable in place that restricts Google from getting a complete view of your site. Um, And even though users might be able to go in and see your site, you know, uh, completely fine, Google is using a a different set of parameters and we need to be aware of what those parameters are to really fully get an idea of how Googlebot is able to crawl and interact with our website's content.
0: Absolutely, and have you noticed, I mean, there's been a pretty good shift um, with, uh, you know, Google now, you know, I mean, there used to be a two crawl um, and there still is a two crawl approach where, you know, JavaScript would be rendered in a second call. But we've noticed, you know, with a lot of the updates and with some of the changes coming that, you know, new websites are being rendered, you know, by the, you know, the, the single crawl uh, approach. Are, are you seeing, um, is that going to change kind of how a lot of this is going to roll out over the next year? Or do you see it kind of continuing to be something where we really need to pay? attention to, you know, two separate type of views? Um, I think it's still good
1: to keep that two separate view um, section uh, kind of implementation in mind, right? It's still good to kind of, you know, think worst case scenario, Google was going to crawl the site and then if it encounters any JavaScript files, it needs to come back. That's going to potentially add to our crawl rate right? um, and add to the time Googlebot spending on the site. I think in a lot of kind of architectural items, it's always good to account for worst case scenario. Like a good example would be, yes, Google is going to make decisions about your website's canonical tags, for example, but, but you don't necessarily want to rely on that. Uh, you always want to kind of account for the worst case scenario. Um, and so if you're doing something like using you know a bunch of JavaScript on your site that, that's causing Google to have to come back and, and go through a lot of webs and go through a lot of that content to actually be able to get a rendering of your page. You still want might want to take steps to improve that, even though um, Googlebot's getting a lot better at actually rendering you know, the JavaScript content on your site. So, so when it comes to kind of these architectural items, I think it's good to understand that yes, Google is improving its abilities but, but always try to account for the worst case scenario and that's kind of the approach that, that we try to take. When when looking at kind of Google views,
0: so let's walk this back for a second and and talk about exactly what it is that might be viewed differently. Can you give me a handful of examples that you know listeners might be able to say, okay, I understand what you mean when Google sees this differently. I mean, we talk about canonicals, we talk about some stuff that's like generally hidden, right? But you know, what are some of the examples? That that somebody listening might be able to identify. Hey, this is something that you know is is potentially going to see, be seen differently.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so so one example, right, is just desktop first, mobile first. A lot of times, users or or SEOs, right, you're you're analyzing from a desktop device. It's probably the no most efficient way for you to analyze a site. But we know that Google bot, that Google bot uh, smartphone is now kind of the primary user agent of a lot of sites. Um, and that's gonna impact its ability on how it actually sees your website's content. Uh, For instance, we had a client where um, they had this, were an e-comm client that had a really, really uh, robust secondary navigation set up on desktop. Uh, That secondary navigation, you know, linked to kind of these really important product pages. We thought it uh, made that content more accessible to Google via the desktop navigation. Um, We thought it um, maybe potentially improved user experience Uh, And then potentially, you know, send a lot of, you know, link equity to those pages as well, kind of on desktop views. But then when we switched to the mobile view, we found that 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 desktop navigation, that secondary navigation that linked to all those key products, it didn't really exist. Right. Um, And and everything was fine until Google, about uh, a year or two ago, released their, you know, mobile first update. Um, And then we saw that client's organic traffic just um, just significantly decrease. And, and the reason being is that Googlebot's smartphone wasn't able to see all of that content that was in that kind of secondary navigation. Those links were less accessible and had less equity being pushed to them. Um, and then the kind of experiment we were able to perform was that one of the only changes we made to the site was adding that, that secondary uh, navigation functionality back to mobile devices. And we almost immediately saw organic traffic kind of rebound to its original levels um where they were at before Google switched to a mobile first crawling. So that that's just one kind of, you know, really really basic example is that, you know, oftentimes the parameters Google is going to use to crawl your site is going to be kind of from that mobile lens. Um another really good example is geotargeting. Um we had a client who offers um, a variety of their products in, in a bunch of in, in all 50 states, right? Um, and what they had is they had this uh, dynamic content getting served to users. So if you were in Pennsylvania, you would land on their site and they would say, the page would say, hey, here are these Pennsylvania products for you. Um, and it would do that for all 50 states, right? Um, but the issue became is when Googlebot crawls your site, what, what types of content is it getting served? What, what state is Google getting served? Um, and we originally hypothesized California, right, because Google was crawling from California-based IPs. Um, however, when we actually ran um, when we ran that content through uh, things like Google's mobile-friendly testing tool, we were seeing that for some reason Google was geotargeting the content uh, as Michigan-type of some content. And the issue kind of became is, well, this client offers a large amount of products, but the product selection varies by geography. So if Google is only able to read the Michigan content, but the client doesn't offer a ton of content in the Michigan area, then that's going to impact a lot of different things. It's going to impact, you know, content quality. Google sees two different products when there's a hundred offered. Google might say, this is kind of a low quality page. I really don't want to show that page in the search engines. Well,
0: well, that's something that a lot of people might come across, right? Like if you're thinking about practical examples, right? It's a little harder with the mobile desktop because not for nothing, I think a, a lot of people now are pretty much designing or developing for mobile, even though there's a, a, a still a, a big chunk of people out there. I don't think that, that necessarily the chunk of people that are still not mobile first You know, either A, they know they need to be mobile first and they're either dealing with a platform limitation or a team limitation or, you know, in our space, most SEOs kind of have made that transition. So you're dealing with people that aren't working with SEOs or working, you know, to really improve their site. They're kind of just, you know, set it and forget it. Um, But the, the geo targeting is definitely something that I think is more... Um, you know visible today right that's something in itself that is really complicated um you know for a lot of companies to deal with and so in that scenario kind of how how do you battle that how do you get around the fact that you know you 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 might be showing only one location to google do you create like you know a bunch of conditionary uh, conditional things you know for for the bot or do you have to create like a bot specific page that's that's not, you know, geographical at all. Like that, that's a really interesting challenge, and I'm curious to hear how would you approach like solving that.
1: Yeah, so so there's a there's a few different avenues you could approach it, right? And, and a lot of it depends on kind of the time and resources that you have, um, and two kind of the the effectiveness of that implementation, right? Um, so one, maybe maybe kind of the the simplest approach would be. Do kind of some A-B testing, right? Figure out, hey, is geotargeting improving our user experience? Are we getting more conversions that way? Um, How much is this actually helping us? Um, And if you find out that the results aren't that beneficial really, um, it's kind of no no clear winner, then then potentially just remove the geotargeting, right? Um, kind of the simplest solution um, that might require kind of the, the lowest input. Um, this, the second solution will be, you know, try to figure out some sort of, uh, some sort of implementation where when Google crawls your site, it's getting in an, an all locations page, right? So users um, can still get, you know, their geo-targeted content. However, if your site, you know, recognizes that it's Googlebot's IP calling your site, that content served is non-geo-specific. Google can then see all of your website's content Reach, you know, the Pennsylvania, the Michigan, and the North Carolina content, right? Um, so, so in that solution, you, it's always good to bring multiple solutions to the table. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there there's an ideal solution, um, but also sometimes you need to work with solutions that are um, kind of practical in terms of the time and resources that are available to you. So,
0: what what is your opinion? I mean, it looks like, it sounds like. I mean, in most cases, in my mind, if you're really looking at, you know, kind of like. You know, google crawling your 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 content you would want to have like a non specific geo targeted you know content um, you know, so that you're, you're showing that to Google every time and that's your core company product, right? And then if you're geo-targeting, you're just looking for like a user experience, right? I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I don't think people today are really geo-targeting. Did, did I know, you know, most of the time if you're trying to do local SEO, you're trying to have a page for locations, right? You're trying to, you know, really kind of individualize that and make sure it's really tagged up and good, not so much from a geo-targeting standpoint. I mean, a lot of the opinion out there that I've heard is that you really should just kind of avoid geo-targeting. It's an old, mm-hmm. you know, an old tactic, you know, do you feel like there's good use cases for geotargeting today or should people just really kind of avoid it? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I
1: mean, I think that's going to completely depend on you know, the client scenario um, and, and what you're specifically doing. I would probably I would agree with you overall that you know avoiding it is probably the kind of default scenario right because it does impact you know user experience um, and maybe even negatively maybe users don't necessarily want to see just a specific location if you're making them jump through extra hurdles just to see all of your website's content
0: yeah it's always um, it's always actually drove me crazy because mm-hmm. like um, my my Ex was Chinese, and um, you know, you know, from a long time ago when I was married, and um, and uh, she would, you know, be on the same IP, and she would, you know, visit some China news sites or something, and I would go to log into PayPal, and my PayPal would come up Chinese, and it would always and drive you- me nuts that it was like you know, forcing me and I, I would travel a lot, you know, I'd come back from Europe or something and everything would be in German or something. And it doesn't seem to like flush quickly. It doesn't seem to like always work out. And, and in a lot of those cases, when I'm going to log into PayPal, wherever I'm at, I want it in English. I don't necessarily want it in, you know, automatically, uh, you know, translated for me. So in most of the cases that I've seen it, it's always been extremely you know, annoying from a user perspective.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would say you know, a, a lot of times when we work with sites, right, we're kind of just, we, we use the implementations that we're kind of given. But I think in an ideal world, geotargeting, you would have to have very, very conclusive data to say that our customers definitely prefer and almost always get a better user experience when they're geotargeted to make that implementation. I think that should be an implementation that's heavily, heavily tested before actually going live and into a production site.
0: And we were talking earlier about mobile first and I was curious to get your, you know, because you're doing a lot of this type of work, uh, you know, on on a regular basis. What are the things that you're seeing? You mentioned navigation. I think that's a great example, right? You know, a lot of times... You know, people design, even today, I still deal with designers who send over a desktop design. It's like, why would you even send me a desktop design in this day? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it should be a mobile design that if you happen to open on desktop still works, not the opposite way, right? Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the examples outside of navigation that you see people making mistakes on when it comes to, you know, not having a proper mobile first view?
1: Yeah, um, a, a big one is content differences, mobile to desktop. Um, it, it actually happens more times than than you would think. Right. Where you'll be on you'll be on a desktop device. You'll see, you know, a, a pretty good list of content. You'll see, you know, they have kind of all the different content blocks that be, would be required. You switch to a mobile first view um, and then that content just completely disappears. Um, and, and that's going to impact Google's ability to actually crawl that content and, and see what's on the page from from kind of that mobile first view as well as in, it's going to impact you know how your how your users are able to see that content as well. So really con- content changes text that exists on desktop but just completely dis- disappears on mobile you know that that's a pretty common one um and then an, another common one is just kind of from an internal linking perspective as well um sometimes you'll see kind of these these sections that have, these internal links that um appear on desktop but once again disappear on mobile devices uh kind of similar to the navigation and that that impacts how google is actually able to go through and, and crawl your website's content and if you're a large e-com site that has serious architectural implications and kind of um, discoverability impl- implications on your website's content. Um, and really the best way to audit for that is just to use dual screen, uh, pull up you no know, mobile and desktop kind of side by side and just you know analyze your different page types, you know what you know, any types of differences you're seeing between your mobile and your desktop views and then think, how would that impact our
0: SEO? Yeah, and I, I, the other one I would definitely add in there is just the visualization of it, right? I mean, uh, the graphics and overlays. I mean, how, how often mm-hmm. somebody has, you know, white text on an overlay of a graphic mm-hmm. that looks great on uh, on desktop, and as soon as you go on mobile, the text disappears because it moved up an inch, and now it's over a white... You know, it's white on white or something like that. Right. Um, and, and Google is definitely taking a much um, mm-hmm. stronger approach, at like understanding how things load and how elements load and how they look and how they function and whether things are bouncing around or not and moving around or not. So, you, you know, the visual view is also one of those. But all of these things are very um important elements we talk about mobile first we talk about geo uh you know targeting in general and we talk about some of the navigation we talk about text changes or even visual changes and, and you mentioned you know pulling up your desktop pulling up your mobile phone that that's definitely like a, a, an easy way to kind of visualize some of those you know uh, shifts but are there any tools out there that, that can can benefit somebody for being able to determine you know a like the the differences between different devices or geo-targeted locations and how Google like views it versus how you're viewing it. Like uh, what are the tools that people can utilize? Is there one that is kind of been, you know, set up to be like all of those things in one or do you have to go out and get five or six different tools to kind of accomplish this? Yeah, that's a good
1: question. Um, So so there's two ways, there's two ways I, I try to analyze how Google is is actually you know interpreting the site's or page's content, um, and that will be one using a tool like the mobile friendly testing tool. That's going to give you a pretty accurate picture um, of, of how Google is actually analyzing a site's content. Um, so if you are doing something like geotargeting using that tool, you might be able to see okay, hey, which state is Google actually you know um, considering this content to be geotargeted toward, right. Um, and it kind of gives you that, you know, kind of gives you one a visual element as well as you can actually inspect the actual code that the uh, mobile friendly testing tool is providing. Um, another way, another, you know, tool quote unquote, um, is just using site searches. Um, if, if you're interested to see, Hey, is, is Google able to read this content or what, what content is on the page? Um, take a snippet of, take the snippet of text that you want to analyze, perform a site search, site colon, put that page, ne- put that page next to it, and then uh, search that text in Google and see in Google's index, what is the index reading? Um, and the proof is kind of in the pudding there, right? So you, you can actually specifically see, hey, is this content included on the page? Um, if it's not, um, is, it, is it because you know we have uh, because Google is missing our mobile content? If it's geo-targeted, what state is Google's index providing?
0: Want to learn more about AHREFs? Check out their blog or YouTube channel for step-by-step SEO tutorials, and their seven-day trial is only seven dollars. So head over to A H R E fs.com and sign up now for instance when looking at competitors you can see the pages and content that send them the most traffic you can find out exactly which keywords they're ranking for and which backlinks are helping them out and then from there you can either replicate or improve on their strategies to make yourself even stronger Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot slash S-E-J. There's also a really cool tool. Um, I'm sure you know the tool itself, but there's a function of the tool on webpagetest.org, which is, um, I, I've never really confirmed whether that's owned by Google or just supported by Google, but it's definitely in bed with Google in some way, shape or form. Um, and, and what I really love about you know that tool is, of course, you have the waterfall for loading for speed and you have you know some elements that come out, but you have um, live recording, right? So you can actually mm-hmm. get a video from there where you can download that video, you can send it in an email, you can share it, you can put it in a deck. So if you're trying to pitch, you know, to your developer teams or whatever else, and you can actually have a video show you how your website's loading up. What's the speed? What's it look like? How is it functioning? Um, And I've always found that to be really impressive. Have you um, played a lot with Lighthouse at all for, for some of the mobile first kind of, you know, functions?
1: Uh, yeah. So for with Lighthouse, we've primarily we've primarily used it um, as, as kind of a performance indicator. Um, so we're, we're using Lighthouse a lot for speed testing, benchmarking, you know, key metrics like first contentful paint, time to interactive, um, and, and then trying to figure out kind of performance improvements made. Um, but the Lighthouse kind of gives you all of these different reports, um, and some that can kind of help you kind of help you lend insights. To you know how how is Google by analyzing your website's content specifically on mobile? We found the biggest use cases for it have more proven for that kind of performance aspect um, in terms of how Google in terms of what are the metrics that Google um, is assigning to your site um, from kind of uh, from kind of a mobile view um, and what are the improvements that that you know Google is recommending you make whether that's eliminating you know the standard eliminating render blocking JavaScript. Should be lazy loading content are uh, those kinds of suggestions we primarily looked at lighthouse using kind of that performance lens
0: nice, so we talked about a couple of things, but one of the the other ones out there that a, a number of websites utilize, even my own you know website search engine journal um, you know, utilizes this infinite scroll, and right. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think our impl- implementation of it's not infinite, right? It just allows a couple more loads, um, but it's definitely something you see on a lot of sites out there, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and and that in itself can can propose you know uh, quite a few issues that you have to deal with. Now, we obviously have been able to kind of figure it out, and I'm not the the, the greatest tech mind in the world, so I can't tell you the exact. You know, solution we have, but we we're, we're not dealing with any kind of index issue with that. But um, I have heard a lot of stories of people with Infinite Scroll having issues with um, how their pages render and and how they're being indexed. Uh, what do you? What is your experience in that regard? And what are you seeing?
1: Yeah. So we've when we've done audits for you know for several large news organizations, um, something we've seen um, is they've had kind of. Um, these infinite scroll implementations, um, but the issue is that new URLs when that infinite scroll is happening, as users scroll down, scrolls down the page, new URLs aren't rendering or aren't linked to come from the original source documents. And the the issue that this can create is that Google might not be able to read content that is deeper in your site architecture. Um, Google is going to crawl that URL. It's going to say. Hey, I can see the first twenty items on this page, right? Before the before the first infinite scroll, um, but anything after that, Googlebot might not be able to read if there's no actual kind of physical URL for it to crawl on. For it to actually crawl, um, Google needs that u- unique URL to crawl and associate with that unique content. Um, so, a lot of times, you have seen we've seen this in news sites. you have also seen this in, in some audits we've done for some large tech organizations. We've um, seen that. Sites have been severely under-indexed as a as a result of not having proper infinite scroll implementation set up, um, and who was not actually able to kind of read that that content deeper in their site architecture.
0: So, what what would you do about that from a technical standpoint? I mean, if you if you you have obviously you know differ differing views on how a website should function or what should be the, the goal of the content, right? You have a lot of people on teams and a lot of people are, you know, can win their way um, even if you, know, you don't agree with that. And so let's say you're like, well, look, infinite scroll has a lot of you know, potential issues. Um, what are some of the ways that people are, 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 are fixing that? How do you avoid having infinite scroll result in, in issues like that?
1: So there's this great demo set up uh, by John Mueller, um, where, it talks about, where he actually talks about how you can make infinite scrolling SEO friendly. Um, and the way you can do that is using the push date function using JavaScript, um, which actually changes the URL as the user scrolls down the page. Um, and that kind of gives Google a unique URL to identify um, and latch onto and actually crawl and associate with the new content. Um, We've, set, we've kind of done before and after implementations for clients in the past, where we've worked with our developers to set up this functionality, and we actually have been able to see a, this, the deeper content wasn't getting indexed before, after the infinite scroll implementation, it was getting indexed. Um, and the second way, uh, you know, a, a way that might be better for a lot of sites, maybe even the majority of them, uh, is just to set up standard pagination. You know, once again, if you're not convinced that that infinite scrolling is actually better for the users, a lot of times I I personally don't think it is, then just set up standard pagination, you know, where you just link to, you know, your one, you know, you have one through 500 or so kind of paginated links, and then just link to your content via that using standard 8 links.
0: So we've talked about some of the different ways that Google views your website from kind of a standard like how does it look or what's the text or what am I seeing and reading. But there's been quite a few uh, advancements over the last couple of years and just in general of how Google actually reads that content or how it interprets you know your content to to satisfy the need of a searcher, right? So that's where we start getting into EAT and we start getting into the BERT. Concepts right that the natural language processing um, and a lot of these other elements. I'm curious to get your view on How how are these elements going to affect, you know uh, Our optimizing for for search in the future like how do you see You know just the choice in the way you decide to talk about something uh, impacting your potential rankings or potential traffic yeah. and so forth. So
1: I'm a big fan of, of entity optimization over keyword optimization. I think we're past the days, right, of you know, using the same keyword, you know, even just the same keyword on a page, you know, 10 different times or something like that, right? Um, Google is looking more and more for, is your page you know, answering the complete intent of the user query? Um, so a great example would be car insurance, right? Um, a recommendation we might make instead of just using you know, car insurance five additional times on the page might be really trying to figure out what different entities is Google want to reward for, or does Google think match the user intent for that query. So an example, if we're seeing pages ranking well or talking about the different car insurance coverages, you no know, bodily injury or personal protection, that's content we should be talking about on uh, including on the page, if Google is rewarding pages that talk about car insurance discounts, that's what we should be including. So I, I think a big part, um, a big part of it is looking at what are the different topics of pages that that core, that high-ranking pages are talking about, and then ensuring that you're including that type of content on on your pages. Um, I think Google is looking at kind of um, for for intent from much more of a topical
0: level as opposed to a keyword level now. So so it's very easy in the past to say I need to figure out the keywords in my niche and I think it was you know it's 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 bypassing a lot of hard work to say it's easy but it was definitely a little straightforward of saying like you're gonna go out and use some keyword research tools you're gonna identify kind of what are the the phrases that people are searching for maybe I'm gonna use some related search information from Google as kind of a shortcut and let me kind of analyze the content you know and identify keyword phrases from competitors this kind of opens up much more difficult almost like an opinionated Avenue in some regards as to how you talk about something. Um, What what, somebody listening to this and thinking, uh, "Well, crap! How do do, you know? Because how do I approach this?" And I think one of the big challenges is that people. I you see this all the time in, in consulting with marketing is that people inside the business talk about their products and their services differently than the people that are looking for those services and products and and it's just because you happen to know more because you're more involved in it and you start using acronyms and you start getting more into it right we start talking about eat and burn people are like i don't know what the hell you're talking about right Mm -hmm. because we kind of jump forward so how are people supposed to approach you know the, the beginning phases for BERT, do you have like a, a process that you guys have kind of come up with that's like, all right, we're going to go and really pay attention to like, what are the search phrases that we're getting you know results for, and how, how do you kind of walk down that path of, of figuring out how to optimize in this way?
1: Yeah. So I, I think at first, right, um, your most basic forgive give a user the best answer possible. Um, and it's kind of you know standard advice, but but there's a reason. It probably is one of the most scalable ways to improve optimization for for a given page, right? Naturally, a lot of times that you're kind to kind of build that content um, and, and use those terms very naturally. If you're if you're talking, if you want to optimize a page for Star Wars, you're naturally going to talk about Luke Skywalker and you know, Han Solo, right? If like you're trying to make the best possible page. Um, if you're looking for more of kind of, you know, a practical implementation, um, you know, sometime, something we'll do is we'll use an in-house tool, but also there's, um, you know, other tools out there like uh, that ClearScope that, ClearSco- that do kind of the same thing, um, where you can actually take take text that you, you want to optimize, and that tool will then give you suggestions of other topics to kind of include on the page. Um, and, and kind of what those tools do is they they analyze the top results on Google run an entity analysis of those and then find gaps uh, in terms of where your content is missing said entities. Um, so that's a little bit more of kind of a, a practical way, a, a tool-based solution um, is, is to find what topics are, are high um, high ranking pages talking about and, and where are there gaps in our content. Um, and that's kind of after you've already tried to, hey, we need to make this page the best page possible. Um, and also trying to figure out, hey, where are, what, where are we using maybe industry terms, but those aren't in line with maybe more colloquial terms that, that a user
0: will be using. And have you used, uh, I went, you know, was playing around with the Google natural language processing tool and it doesn't seem to be a very expensive tool, but I, I didn't really get mm-hmm. too deep in my exploration of it, but have you played with that and, and do you have any thoughts about it and, and about incorporating it into your kind of strategy?
1: Yeah, um, we, we think it's definitely really, really good to run your high priority pages through those. Um, I wouldn't, sometimes I don't use it as much in terms of, hey, we're looking at, I believe Google NLP gives kind of a salient score um, in terms of you know how, how relevant I think certain entities are to your page. We, we think there's um, it's good to know, it's good guidance, but we don't use that as kind of a, a hard and fast metric where we're trying to get our, our salience for the term car insurance up more or something like that. Um, some of the biggest use cases I've found um, is just is being able to demonstrate exactly all of the eligible text on a page. Um, surprisingly, um, a really good case study is we had a particular client. Um, there was a very very high priority page that they that they had, um, and they were they were inserting user reviews on this on this said page. Um, and when you take a look at the page from kind of a user view. Um, it didn't look too bad um, it looked like maybe the page had let's say 500 words or so um, and there was kind of that user review section at the bottom uh, but when we ran uh, the page through Google Nlp what we were finding was that the, the reviews were injecting a ton of you know unnecessary content onto the page you know the biggest um, optimize the, the biggest topics Google was saying the page was uh, was optimized for were terms like Bob and Karen and, you know, reviews and things like that. Um, so so we've used that to kind of really identify how much text, you know, a, a crawler is actually able to maybe see on a page um, and then kind of give an idea of, you know, what are the core topics that it's kind of parsing out. I, mean, I think it's a really good way to to understand all of the content that's eligible to be indexed on a given page as opposed to relying on kind of the human eye, which can be deceived by things like, you know, not all the, all the content being you know, hidden on the initial view and not all of the content being able to be seen in one specific view. Um, so that, that's kind of one of the biggest use cases. And I, I, I,
0: I think that's a really important point to note because um, one of the things looking forward that is problematic right now is the fact that as we move more to a single render. Um, engine for for Google, um, you know. There's been a lot of case studies I've seen out there where, you know, um, the, the flattening of those elements, like all the Java elements, right? The light and dark DOMs and the flattening and, and, and the elements that are happening when it's being rendered, um, are are putting a lot of content on pages that nobody can even see, right? And you can't hold up a mobile and a desktop version and see that when Google crawls this, it's all of a sudden adding in, like, multiple additional, like, canonicals or title tags or metas or swapping out a, a meta from a different spot, you know, where it, it, should, it shouldn't be. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of just projecting where things are, are going, I think it's more important now than ever to truly understand. And I, I have a friend, uh, Bartosh um, who was, uh, I, I believe it was him, who was given the example uh, mm-hmm. of a number of different companies Um, It was him or Marcus Tober. They were both talking about kind of the same topic with me. Um, There was a lot of examples in there where they were talking about um, you know the, this site doesn't even have JavaScript, and it's 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 rendering through Java, and 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 it's completely breaking the site, and they're they're, they're losing all their rankings. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of uh, things happening w- with you know how Google sees your site versus how you're seeing your site, and how tools are seeing your site, because tools mm-hmm. are also set up, you know, in a way where they try to envision what Google's doing, but. You know, um, sometimes it's different when Google's running you know a non-released experimental you know mm-hmm. kind of rendering and, and they're, they're not really talking about or not really giving you access to that then, but it still can have a, a big impact on how you're ranking for for a good six months to 12 months, which can be powerful uh, on a business. So are you, are you seeing, you know do you, do you agree that there's like just a, a lot of things coming that are kind of concerning or do you feel like it's just gonna all work itself out? Um, I definitely don't agree that you know. To, I
1: don't try to have the philosophy that it's all going to work itself out. It kind of <laughs> goes back, to you know, optimizing for worst case scenario, right? Um, overall, I think you know, Googlebot is obviously getting much more intelligent, right? They they just um, they just updated their web rendering service, um, you know, from I believe Chrome forty one, um, which which is definitely a positive sign. Google is getting more powerful. It's able to actually you know analyze more things on your site. Um, but there's never going to be a substitute for, for you know, checking, especially if you're using some sort of, um, especially if you're using some sort of like advanced implementation, um, like, like potentially a, Re- a React or an Angular. Yeah. Um, to really like analyze exactly how is Google analyzing my site. I think that's sometimes some of the first checks we make on, on a given client site is you know, just checking, hey, is Google able to kind of uh, index this properly? And if we're not seeing, you know, Google actually, you know, uh, indexing the content properly, you know, we're running the site searches, and if Google isn't seeing that content in the index, then we really need to start figuring out, hey, you know, where are their discrepancy is and wipe up what. what. What might be causing them? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's like what John was saying a little bit ago when people were there was a couple of years where people are like SEO is dead, SEO is dead, and John Mueller and a handful of other key people came out and said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's about to get so you know, it might be transitioning more to technical SEO, but mm-hmm. SEO is uh, you know more important today than it probably has ever been, and it's going to continue mm-hmm. to be because of the technical advancements we're going through and especially with react and angular i mean it's it and those are you know you're starting to get into things that are core you know technologies for the future and it's going to be harder and harder and harder for people to get right so definitely uh something focus and something that you know i'm glad that you were able to come on and talk a little bit about um unfortunately this is one of those topics that you know there's some things that you can do but it's it's not as straightforward as like you know stick a keyword here you've gotta you (laughs) you have to really Strategize and have some bright minds, you know. And and mm-hmm. so that that said, if people want to find you, they want to you know follow you, they want to read more, they want to reach out and ask some questions. How can people find you online?
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @GoFishChris. Um, or, or connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Long, and I work at GoFish Fish Digital. Um, or, or follow me on, on the Maj blog as well. Um, I have you know somewhat regular articles coming out there.
0: Beautiful, Chris. I really appreciate you joining the show and uh, sharing some uh, thoughts with us.
1: Hey, I really appreciate you having me, Brent. Thanks, bud. Hey there, I'm not Prince Satoris. I'm not Danny Goodwin. And I'm not Lauren Baker. That's Greg Finn and Jess Budd, and I'm Christine Zernhals. If you listen to the Search Engine Journal show, we think you'll love our critically acclaimed SEJ Network podcast, Marketing O'Clock. Join us every
0: week as we report the latest SEO, PPC, and social media marketing news. This is a show for real-life marketers who want to do great work.
1: And because we're IRL marketers too, we know you're talking about attribution, schema, and CPCs all day long. So we keep it light with plenty of spicy hot
0: takes, puns, and rants.
1: Plus, we talk about what's working hard and what's hardly working in our accounts and share what news stories have us saying WTH every week.
0: So if you're ready to become a better marketer, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and listen to new episodes fresh for you each and every Friday morning. Only on the SEJ Network.